Today in our Gospel reading, we just heard the Beatitudes. But if you really listen carefully, it seems kind of out of context. It seems hard to understand because last week we just heard Jesus choosing his disciples, calling his disciples, and then all of a sudden he drags them up to the mountain and teaches them the Beatitudes. And the first thing out of all the words Jesus says to his disciples, besides the calling of them, he teaches them the Beatitudes. To be, really, to be able to understand why the Beatitudes are so important, especially for Matthew in which he places it very much at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we really have to understand the context, the situation and the background behind why Matthew wrote the way he wrote and who he was writing to. What is interesting is Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, people who have a very deep understanding of the Old Testament. So as he's writing to this Jewish audience, he's trying to show them that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that's going to fulfill all the promises. And he's the one that's being announced in the Old Testament. And he is the one where all the prophecies will be fulfilled. So with that context and that understanding in mind, when we look at the Beatitudes, we have to look at them from the perspective of a Jewish audience. So when we look at the Beatitudes, they're not pointing to something, just actions to do. But Matthew is inviting the Jewish community to recall the past, to enter into the Exodus journey with him and begin there. Because he is going to show us how the prophecy is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And he draws them particularly to the moment of their exodus. Because in that, the main pentacle of Matthew's gospel is the kingdom of God is at hand. So how, therefore, is the kingdom of God is at hand? It is through Jesus Christ and through the Beatitudes. Because how that comes to fulfillment is he's pointing back to the Exodus journey. These chosen people of God were sent out into a chosen land. But in some sense, they had no land to go to yet. They, have, they were going out and being chosen, being sent off, being led by Moses. But in some sense, they had no place to sleep. They were told not to take anything in excess. So their identity and their dignity as human beings were nowhere to be found in this journey, in this exodus flee. So in some sense for the Jewish audience, they felt and seen as if they were no one. There's no value and worth to who they are as human beings. So when we look at the Beatitudes, it begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. If we listen to it and work through that, the word blessed can be translated to happy are those who are poor in spirit. How is being poor in spirit truly going to bring me happiness? How is being poor allowing me to be happy, to be joyful? Because 
as, as Jewish people, I have nothing already. I'm in a foreign land promised by the Messiah and nothing has happened yet. I'm not free. I'm not given this land that I was promised. And I'm here still in a different form of slavery. So how can I be free and poor in spirit all at the same time to be happy? But what Jesus reminds us in the Beatitudes is he's coming to restore all that. He's coming to restore the sense of belonging. Because where we belong and where we're meant to be is the kingdom of God. We're meant to be with him in heaven. That's that promised land that we were told about. The dignity. We lose our dignity because of sin. So he comes to free us from sin, free us from slavery. And now we belong to him as sons and as daughters. In that roots our identity as human beings. We're just not slaves. We're just not people there to be treated, to be maltreated. But we all have dignity because we were created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore we are deserving of God's love and should be loved by others. But as Jewish people, it's hard to see all that. It's hard to come to understand all that. And so for us as readers now, we can begin to see and understand why the Beatitudes play a very crucial and important part in his first words to his disciples. Because his mission and his goal is to bring the kingdom of God here and now. He is making that kingdom of God present here on earth at this moment. But the challenge for us is, are we, do we want that restored kingdom? Do we want to follow and believe in this Messiah? Are we really willing and wanting to be restored to our great glory? Because if we're really wanting to, then we have to look carefully at the Beatitudes. If we want to restore our glory, we want to be back into the glory and presence of God and in His love, we have to follow the Beatitudes. If we truly want to live life to its fullest, if we want to be happy in its fullest sense, not this feeling we have, but to be truly joy and at peace in our lives with no concerns, but most importantly, orient our lives to the proper way we were meant to be, we must follow the Beatitudes. So what does the Beatitudes teach us? We know the word Beatitude can be translated into happiness, fortunate, truly humble, highly esteemed, or the glory of greatness, or the glory of perfection. That's what we're looking and that's what we're trying to attain. So let us look at the first three Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. To be happy is to be poor in spirit. The sense of poorness is not just the absence of material things. But one of my favorite imageries and analogies is a cup of water. How can you fill that cup of water if it's completely full? 
So to be poor in spirit, we must empty ourselves out to allow the will of God, to allow the love of God to enter and to fill us and to penetrate the deep recesses of our hearts, to penetrate into the different aspects of our lives. So that in doing so, in giving away of ourselves, we are then therefore able to receive what truly is meant for us. In giving, we are able to therefore then receive. In giving, we are then able to free ourselves to become more happy. In freeing ourselves, we allow ourselves to depend on God. Because in holding on to who we are, we want control. We want our self-centeredness to be there. We want our ego to take over. And those things hinder us from giving. To freely allow ourselves to give to the other unconditionally and fully with love. Blessed are those who mourn. Why do we mourn? This mourning here is just not the sadness that we carry. But this mourning is recognizing our struggles, our weaknesses, our frailty. This morning is recognizing that I myself can't do what I want. If I want to be holy, if I want to be perfect, why do I keep sinning? If I want to be virtuous, why is it so hard to be patient? Why is it so hard to not be gluttonous? I want to be perfect. I want to be virtuous. But yet every time I turn around, every time I continue to live my life, sin and vice constantly creeps into my life, constantly is a battle in my life, and I can't get away from it. This morning is recognizing that those things are in my life. I can't control them. I can't take them out of my life. I can't uproot them from my struggles. And therefore, this morning is the fact that I am coming to the presence of God, asking and seeking for His grace. I am coming to God, asking and pleading for His strength so that I can fulfill, I can accomplish, I can succeed in becoming virtuous, in becoming holy. And in mourning, I recognize the suffering. I am able to be empathetic with others. Because it's not all about me. It's because I'm not perfect. And therefore, I can see, I can help, I can recognize that my brothers and sisters need my help also. I'm not standing here proclaiming that I am perfect, that everyone else is going to go to hell. But I am recognizing in myself that I can't do it. I can't be perfect. I'm not perfect yet. And in doing so, recognizing and loving on our brothers and sisters, when they fail, when they've fallen short, and when they've fallen into sin, and loving them, even in the midst of their brokenness, their frailty, and their weakness. Blessed are the meek. 
This meekness is the fact that we can humble ourselves. Humility. This humility is not this false sense of humbleness. Like, I'm not perfect. This shyness, shying away from power and authority. But this meekness is the ability to empty ourselves out. This ability not to focus on me, but for everyone else. To love everyone, to be selfless in who I care for, in who I love, in who I give myself over to and love unconditionally. As I give myself over, I'm able to understand, to empathize, to relate, to connect, and to see my brothers and sisters as who they are, as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, as someone worth loving, caring for, no matter how broken, how weak they are. And it's interesting because in all three of those, those first three Beatitudes, Jesus shows that he's coming to restore the lost land. Because the land we're going to inherit is the kingdom of God. Secondly, the dignity. Due to original sin, we're unable to relate to God, connect to God, and love God unconditionally. Because that sin hinders us from doing so. But in that morning, we recognize our unworthiness in front of God. We recognize our need for God. And finally, in the meekness, in that humility, we recognize our place and how we come to relate to God, how we're able to relate to God, and most importantly, how God loves us unconditionally and wants us to be back, to be in that proper relationship with Him. So as we begin our journey in ordinary time, my dear brothers and sisters, we're called and reminded of our own life as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. Last week we were called. This week we're reminded it begins. It begins with seeking the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not going to be tomorrow, my dear brothers and sisters. It wasn't yesterday either. It is now. So are you willing to seek the kingdom of God? Are you willing to seek and put the Beatitudes in practice in your life so that we know who the Messiah is, so that we come to experience the Messiah, so that we know of God's love in our life and to be transformed forever as his disciples? Because the kingdom of God is not going to wait for us. The kingdom of God is here and now. And it's only in and through Jesus Christ. By taking them up to the mountain, do they come to truly experience the divine. So as we come to our Eucharistic feast, we're coming to the mountain. We're coming to experience the divine. We're coming to be transformed forever so that we can work and prepare for the kingdom of God. So let us help each other, my dear brothers and sisters, to remind ourselves that it is here and now, that it is at this moment that we need to continue to work and challenge each other to work, to live out that life of happiness 
that is promised to us by Jesus Christ today so that we all can enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven together. Amen.